Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm Zanna. After about five years of marriage, my husband and I began talking about starting a family. Unfortunately, things did not go as planned. Um, Months of trying turned into years of frustration. And as friend after friend announced um, happy news, we secretly endured countless doctor's appointments, um, deep disappointments, and great pain. But on the outside, I put on a brave face and faithfully served in our church. We have been Christians for a long time, but I desperately needed God's joy. Even now, as I think about that season, it brings me to tears because I wrestled so intensely with God and I doubted His goodness. I was searching for joy in my life. My name's Steve. Uh, I grew up in a small town in western Oklahoma with a large family. Uh, we were in church uh, every time the doors were open, sometimes three or four times a week. But uh, after I graduated, I moved to Dallas for the big city life and turned my back on God. Eventually, I got married, had kids, and had several struggling businesses. And I can remember the look on my mom's face years later as she was uh, scolding me for not going to church uh, and me telling her that uh, I wasn't even sure I believed in God anymore. And unfortunately, in February of 2014, my wife and I have separated after 20 years of marriage, and I was devastated. I was in a dark place. I was looking for answers. I was looking for hope, wondering if there was any hope for the future. I'm Olga. This past year has been one of the best years of my life, but it has also been one of the toughest. Early in the year, I was invited to attend NCC and felt God from day one. I was then baptized in October and everything was perfect. Two weeks before Thanksgiving, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Speechless, I sat in my car for about an hour until I broke down. I then gathered my immediate family to let them know the news. I needed to know that God had a plan for me, that I had a purpose. I'm Phil, and growing up as a pastor's kid had its hardships in itself. I really had a hard time finding my place outside of church. Church, I knew very well, and for as long as I can remember, I never truly fit in. And through bullying and rejection from other people, I never truly understood who I could be through God. I was looking to belong in all the wrong places, and I never understood how God could accept me for who I was. Good morning, church. I want to welcome you to Easter celebration service here with us at NCC. And if you're new here, yes, we can put our hands together for that. If you're new here, I want to introduce myself. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC. And 
We want you to know we are a church that is passionate about making people and places new. And that's what we're celebrating this Easter Sunday. That's what God has done. He has sent his son, Jesus, who died for us, and he rose again on that Easter morning. And that simple statement right there, if we will accept it, accept it, it changes us. It makes us new, and it not only affects us, but it makes a difference in your workplace. It makes a difference with your family and in your neighborhood. That simple truth right there changes everything. And so today we're talking about this idea of find Easter. You know, Easter is a time where we're familiar with searching for things. I mean, as a kid, we did Easter egg hunts, right? And I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the ones with the candy and the plastic eggs so much more than eating a hard-boiled egg, okay? And just like you saw in the video, if you saw that, we had the hunt here yesterday, um, around 400 people, and you could see the kids lining up um, right there on the field, and there's anticipation in their eyes. They're so excited because they're going to search for those eggs, and they want to know what's inside. What is it that they found? And so there's that excitement. It was neat to see that yesterday. We do something in our house around Easter and searching. Every single Easter, we hide Easter baskets for our kids. And they know this. My wife does a great job. And so there's Easter baskets in the back of closets, behind clothes and cabinets. And the first thing they do when they wake up Easter morning is they take off out of their bed and they start running throughout the house. They're searching everywhere. I mean, they're destroying the house, tossing clothes everywhere. They're trying to find their Easter basket. There's something exciting about that process of searching for a kid and, and finding something. And as adults, we're familiar with searching, but we trade in Easter eggs and Easter baskets for things that we've lost, right? Like our keys or cell phones or a wallet. We blame our spouse. Where did you put this? I know that I had it right there on the counter. You moved it. And so we're, we understand searching. It's not as exciting. Recently, I misplaced my wallet. And I don't know what Sarah did with it, but it's somewhere in the house, you guys. And we've spent hours, couch cushions and every pair of pants and every jacket that I've ever worn, like looking everywhere. I know it's somewhere there, but we can't find it. It's frustrating as adults. I don't know if you've ever been in the grocery store and you're looking at your favorite package of cookies. You're deciding whether you um, should be good and stick to the diet or whether you can splurge a little bit. It's Easter time. And you look down and your kid is no longer there. And all of a sudden, you're not worried about the cookies. You're in panic moment, right? You're frantically searching like you want to call in the SWAT team and shut down the store. Like you're running. It doesn't matter how crazy you look. You're running up and down the aisles like yelling out your kid's name. You don't know how they magically disappeared. They were one, one second they were there and then they were gone. And, and there's panic in that moment while you're searching. It's difficult when you've lost something. And as adults in our life, sometimes it's not something like just misplaced keys or misplaced cell phone. Sometimes it's something deeper. Just like you saw in the stories that were shared this morning on this video, sometimes it's something significant and meaningful on a deeper level inside of our life that's missing. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, but you know that you're looking for something. You're searching for something that should be there, but it's gone. And this search isn't something that's new with us. It's been going on ever since the beginning of time. We're told in the Bible, in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, that God created man and woman. And he placed them in a garden. God's creation was perfect. He had given them everything that they needed. They weren't missing out on anything. But the enemy comes in, the villain in the story, Satan, comes in and he deceives Adam and Eve, this first man and woman. And he tells them, God's held out on you. 
God's taken something from you. And if you'll simply disobey God, if you'll eat of this fruit, then you'll find what it is that you're looking for. And Adam and Eve, they believe the lie. They eat of the fruit. And in this single act of rebellion, they lose something. They lose hope. The hope that the world is good, that God's creation is perfect, and that they will not be overcome by evil or darkness. Now shame has entered the world and hope is gone. They lost acceptance. They were created to be in relationship with God. And as sin enters the world, their relationship with God is broken now. And they don't have a place where they belong. They feel ashamed. They lost purpose. Each of our lives were created to glorify God, to worship him. And now with sin entering the world, they're left with this question, what is the meaning of life? What am I here for? They lost joy. We're told in the scriptures, in the beginning of the Bible, that God would walk with this man and the woman in the cool of the evening, in the garden. See, there was something that brought joy just being in God's presence, and now it's gone because of sin that has entered the world. And this searching, this thing that's missing, doesn't just stop with Adam and Eve. See, they hand it down from generation to generation to generation. All of mankind experiences this, that something's missing in our life. And the power of Easter, the power of what we're celebrating this morning, that is that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what he did on the cross, we find what it is that we're looking for. And so I want us to open up the scriptures and look at this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. We're going to start reading at verse 34. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There should be a Bible in the seat in front of you, maybe one seat over. And I want to encourage you, take that out. You can turn to page 515 in that Bible and follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you. We want to give that to you this Easter because we believe that there is power in the Word of God. And Luke, what he's writing here is Luke has taken it upon himself to write the story of Jesus. All the way from the birth of Christ to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he's recorded some of the key points and the highlight points in Jesus' life. And here we're in the last few chapters. And we've just covered Luke has written in the last few chapters the days and the hours leading up to the death of Jesus. And you can hold that spot for a moment. Jesus has eaten the last supper, this last meal with this group of men that were very close to him. One of the men that had spent three years with him following Jesus, believing in him, seeing the miracles that he did, stands up from that dinner table and walks out and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Soldiers come whenever Jesus and the disciples are in the garden, and they take Jesus away to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders, they interrogate him all night long. Jesus is awake, being interrogated. And when they've twisted his words in the way that they want to, they then blindfold him, and they begin to beat him. And they mock him, and they say, you're the son of God. Go ahead and prophesy to us. Tell us which one of us struck you. And this goes on all night long. In the morning, he's taken to Pilate, the governor um, for Rome in that area. And Pilate, when he talks to him, he says, I find nothing wrong with this man. But the religious leaders had incited the crowd and they begin to cry out, crucify him, kill Jesus, take him away and kill him. And Pilate, to appease the crowd, gives in. And he hands Jesus over to the Roman soldiers who bind his hands to a post 
and they begin to whip him 39 times. 39 times the whip digs into his back and rips out flesh. His back is then exposed, deep muscle tissue, vital organs are now open, and he's bleeding profusely. After those 39 lashes, they take him and they form a crown of thorns and drive it into his skull, into his head. They walk up to him and they rip out his beard. His face is so swollen from the beatings and from everything that he's undergone that he's barely recognizable to anyone that would have known him. And then they force him to carry his cross. These two large wooden beams that had been fastened together, they command that Jesus carry that through the streets of Jerusalem to a hilltop on the edge of the city called Golgotha. And Jesus, as he's making his way through the city, begins to stumble. He begins to fall. He collapses because of the lack of sleep, the dehydration, the loss of blood. He can go no further. And he collapses under the exhaustion, and they grab someone out of the crowd named Simon. They force this man to carry the cross up to the hilltop, and then on top of the hill, they place Jesus on that cross. They take a hammer and they drive nails into his wrists and into his feet, and then they lift that up in the air and drop that post in a hole in the ground, and Jesus is suspended in the air there. Now, the Romans, they were masters at execution and at torture, and the cross was their masterpiece. See, if you were a victim of the cross, you didn't die from a loss of blood. You didn't die from a lack of water. You died from suffocation. The way that they attached you to the cross caused your lungs and your diaphragm to be compressed. And so you would have to push up with your legs and pull up with your arms just to get a breath. And every time that you did that, the nails going through the nerves in your hands and in your feet would shoot pain through your entire body. And every push, every pull, every time you lifted yourself up just to catch a breath, it was excruciating pain until you could stand it no longer. You could pull yourself up no more and you would suffocate to death and you would die on the cross. And Luke paints this picture of Jesus being there on the cross. And Jesus lifts himself up. He draws in this breath. And with that painful breath that he takes, he makes this declaration in Luke 23 34, it says this, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the soldiers there, they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. See, right there in this moment, Jesus draws in that painful breath to make this declaration of hope. Father, forgive them. God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what's taking place here, God. And so I'm praying for your forgiveness for everyone here. But Jesus wasn't just talking to the evil that was there in front of him, the soldiers gambling over his garments, or the religious leaders leading the crowd astray, mocking God. But he was praying for every evil act that would ever happen in the world. He was making a declaration of forgiveness for everyone. All of the evil that we see in our world, all of the suicide bombers, the mass shootings, all of the trafficking that we see of people and humans, all of the sex trafficking, all of this, but not only the evil that we see outside of the world, the evil that we find in ourselves. Your brokenness and my brokenness 
your sin and my sin on the cross, we find hope. We find Jesus offering forgiveness for all of this darkness that's entered into the world for what it is that we're searching for. And sometimes we mess up the message of the cross. We hear stories like this, what I've just conveyed, what Jesus went through, and we kind of feel guilty. We feel bad about ourselves, like, man, maybe I shouldn't make so many mistakes. And and we kind of feel shamed into following Jesus. But church, he didn't hang there so you would feel guilty. He didn't hang there so you would feel shame or you would feel condemned. He hung there so that you could have freedom, so that you could have hope, so that you could have God's forgiveness over your life. He hung there so that you could have life. He died so that each and every one of us could live. See, that declaration of forgiveness brings freedom into your life and into my life. That's what he's offering. There was this great Christian songwriter, and he wrote these words about this moment on the cross, and he said this, Jesus went to the cross and he paid a debt that he did not owe because I owed a debt that I could not pay. There was nothing that I could do about the sin in my life. There's nothing that you could do about the sin in your life. You can't do enough good stuff. You can't pray enough or come to church enough to counteract the evil in our life. We're held powerless against the debt of sin. But Jesus took your place. Jesus on that cross took that painful breath and he cries out, God, forgive them. Forgive them of the debt of sin. Don't count it against them, God, but offer your grace to them. And he makes this powerful statement on the cross, we find hope. I mean, can you imagine going into your work tomorrow, sitting down at your desk or in your workspace and you get a phone call and it's your bank And they said, hey, we just called you today to let you know that mortgage you've been carrying on your house, over $100,000 that you owe, hey, it's been taken care of. That debt has been forgiven. What would that be like? There you go, okay? I hope you wouldn't just sit there like this, right? I mean, you'd be jumping up and down. You wouldn't care what coworkers were around. I mean, I'd be screaming. I'd be running through this hall in the church, right, just yelling, man, I'm so excited. If they called up and said, hey, your car payment, those thousands of dollars that you owe, Hey, it's been forgiven. Don't worry about that anymore. I mean, imagine the hope that would be there in that moment, the financial freedom that you would experience, what you could do, how you could provide for your family or for yourself differently if that weight, if that debt was no longer there in your life. And that's what Jesus did, not just for money. He did that for our eternity, for our spirit, for the darkness that we were living in. He offers forgiveness, and it's in the cross that we find hope and we find freedom. As Jesus declares, Father, forgive them. Don't hold that debt of sin against them any longer. The second statement that Jesus makes on the cross is found just a few verses later. If you still have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 23, verse 39 says this. One of the criminals who were hanging there railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus is not hanging there alone. He's not on the cross there by himself. 
there's actually two criminals there. There's two sinners and the Son of God, the Savior, and Jesus is the one that doesn't belong there. This man says this, he's innocent, he's committed no wrong, and yet he is hanging there on the cross. He's taken someone else's place. The crowd of people, just a week earlier, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, they began to yell, Hosanna, praise God, this is God's salvation for us. As Jesus entered in and they took off their coats and they laid them in front of Jesus. They took palm branches and tore them off the tree and laid them down and said, this is God's salvation. He's come. He's come to us. And a week later, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. Kill him and give us Barabbas. Barabbas was this murderer. Barabbas was up on death row and he was sentenced to die that day. And the crowd begins to shout out, kill Jesus and give us the murderer. Give us Barabbas, free him and let Jesus take his place. See, Jesus didn't belong there, but he was willing to be on that cross. He was willing to belong among criminals and thieves so you and I could belong with him. He was willing to take your place and my place. He was willing to belong among sinners so that we could belong in the kingdom of God, so that we could belong in the family of God, so that our relationship that had been destroyed could be restored. See, on the cross, we find acceptance. And one of the criminals there, he realizes this. He says this, we're getting what we deserve. He doesn't make any excuses. I'm getting this. This is what I deserve. And he turns to Jesus and he looks at him and he asks him, can I be accepted where you're at? Jesus, is there a place for someone like me, even in my brokenness, even in my sinful state, even in everything that I've done? Jesus, is there any way you could accept me into your kingdom? Can I belong? I've been searching for a place to fit in. And Jesus, with these 13 words, changes this man's eternity. In a statement smaller than a Twitter post, he alters the way that the world is heading. And he says this, today you will be with me in paradise. This powerful statement, this statement of life, not only to the thief on the cross, but to anyone who will turn to God and say, Lord, I know my life is messed up. I know it's broken. I know I'm getting what I deserve. God, I've jacked up my life. But Lord, is there a place for me in your kingdom? Is there a place where I can belong? At the cross, we find acceptance. Jesus makes this promise, and this promise is trustworthy. I've moved a lot, and I've become pretty good at the moving process because we've moved so much in my life. And I can remember one specific move. We lived in a town in Missouri, and we were moving to Pittsfield, Illinois, to become youth pastors at this church. And I woke up the day that we were going to head out, and I went to the the moving company, and I had my receipt printed out, my confirmation, and I handed that to them, and I said, hey, I'm here to pick up my moving truck. And so they look at it, and they're like, okay, Mr. Escamilla, all of this looks good. You have everything in order, but we regret to inform you, your truck isn't here. And I said, what do you mean? I have my reservation. This confirms that my truck is here. And they said, yeah, it's actually an hour and a half away. We were only moving two hours, so they were telling me I was going to have to drive an hour and a half, drive back, load up the truck, and then move another two hours, which was just 30 minutes away from where I picked up the truck. And I'm so frustrated. 
I'm so mad. I'm arguing with him. You promised me the truck, and it didn't matter how long I argued. The truck wasn't going to magically appear. So I ended up doing what they, had, what they said I had to do. I had to drive and get the truck and come back and do that. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated like that or you've ever been promised something by a business and then they let you down or promised something by another person and they let you down. But this statement on the cross is different. See, Jesus is the one person who has the authority to make a promise like this. Today, you will be with me in heaven. Today, I've accepted you in. Today, you can belong. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. There's forgiveness. And today, you're accepted into my kingdom. He has the authority to do this because he's the son of God. And you can rest assured, church, that when he looks at your life, when he looks at my life, and he says, hey, come in, you're accepted, you belong, you have a place here, that that promise is trustworthy, that promise is good. See, at the cross, we find that acceptance that we've been looking for. The last statement that Jesus makes on the cross is found in John chapter 19, verse 28. If you want to, you can write it down and and turn there later. It's another gospel account. It's another writing of the life of Jesus. And John records the last words that Jesus said in John 19, 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when he had received it, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Those three words right there, it is finished. It marks something in Jesus' life that he was sent with the purpose He was called by God for a specific reason. In this moment right here, as he's hanging here on the cross, as he's giving up his life, it's fulfilling what God had called him to do. The purpose that God had, that every evil act that had ever been committed or ever will be committed, every lie that you've told, every sin that I've ever done, every mistake that we've ever made, every time we've turned our back on God and said we're going to do it our own way, was coming to this point right here where Jesus said, I'll take their place. I'll come and I'll stand in their stead. I'll take the punishment for them. And on that cross, he says, God, it's done. It's taken care of. God's purpose is there. Church, make no mistake. This isn't a a mistaken identity. This isn't the Romans got the wrong people. Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time, so he finds himself on a cross. No, this is God's purpose and plan to redeem all of mankind. And we see it right here on the cross in one of the most painful moments that God's purpose is revealed. See, the enemy came, Satan came, and he said, I'm going to destroy God's plan. I'm going to kill the Son of God. I'm going to nail him to a cross. I'm going to make God suffer, and I'm going to make God feel pain. And in that way, I'll stick it to God. And God said, I'll take that plan, and I'll turn it around for my purpose. I'll take that pain, and I'll redeem it, and I'll save all of mankind through that. And on this, in this part right here, we get a picture of what God does And see, your life may be broken. You may have mistakes, but God can take all of that. If you'll come to the cross, if you'll surrender your life to him, he can take every part of that and turn it around for his plan and his purpose. He'll take your messes and your mistakes, and he'll make a masterpiece. 
He'll take your brokenness and he'll make something beautiful. If you'll give it to him, he'll even take your suffering and your hurt and he'll write a story of healing, not only for your life, but for other people, that other people would see the love and the redemption of God, even through your brokenness. See, God wants to take your pain and he wants to turn it around for his purpose. And on the cross, we see that. We see the purpose of God in the suffering of Jesus that God says, I can do something with that. I can restore meaning and purpose in this life. The last thing that we see on the cross is joy. We find joy in the cross in Hebrews chapter 12, this other part of the New Testament. It says this, Hebrews 12 verse 2, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. There's so much in this one verse right here. I could preach an entire message on this verse, but I want us to look at just that middle phrase. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of the agony of pulling himself up with every breath and pain shooting through his entire body, in the midst of that blood loss and exhaustion and all of those things, how did Jesus find joy on the cross? What was his joy? What was the joy that was set before him that he was, in will, that he was willing to endure it at all? It was the people right there in front of him. Not only those that were present on that day, but everyone who would receive that gift. See, Jesus was hanging there and he was looking at us. He was looking at March 27, 2016, right here in Mesquite, Texas. And he knew that if he would just endure it, if he would push through, that the joy would be people whose lives would be changed, people who would be different, people who would be free from sin and from bondage because of what he was doing. See, you and I, we were the joy of Christ on the cross. We were the ones that kept him there on that cross. It wasn't nails. It wasn't the loss of blood. He was the son of God. He could have commanded healing in his body at any moment. It wasn't the soldiers with their swords and with their spears. He could have called for all of the angels in heaven to come and to rescue him. See, what kept him on that cross, it was the thought of you, that you and I, we needed saving. We needed rescuing. We needed redemption. We were searching for all of these things, and we were lost. And God said, I'll stay on the cross. I'll, I'll endure this all. I'll put aside the shame of the cross, and I'll be right here because of a relationship that can be restored, because of people that are desperately in need of a God who will save them. So Jesus stays on the cross for you and for, I, for, for, you and for me. And see, in the cross, the death of Jesus, in the resurrection, that Easter morning where he came up out of the grave, where once and for all he took victory over sin and over death and over the grave, as we look at this, we find what we've been looking for, what all of mankind has been searching for. In the cross, we see it. We find hope. We find acceptance. We find purpose. And we find joy. As I continued to study God's word and pray, God continued to reveal himself to me. 
He was not offended by my hard questions. He listened to my heart cries. He held every tear. His word encouraged me. The Holy Spirit comforted me. My faith was strengthened. I began to more fully understand that joy is found in Christ alone, not in my circumstances. My joy is found in knowing him and being loved by him. I found joy in Jesus. Soon after my wife and I's separation, I was led to NCC. That's when I truly started my relationship with God. Since then, he's been with us, with my daughter and I, through the divorce being finalized. I've enjoyed watching her develop her own relationship with God, even choosing to be water baptized. My business is thriving and my life has been changed for the better in so many ways. I found what I was looking for. I found hope. I found hope in Jesus. After I found out that I had a brain tumor, I began to pray for guidance. God showed me he had a purpose. He was going to use me. I was not going to let this tumor have the best of me. With God by my side, nothing can defeat me. I believe God is using me to spread his words and teach others they have a purpose. Even though I'm sick, my faith is stronger and fear is not going to defeat me. Since my diagnosis, my family has gotten closer to God. This has become my purpose. I don't know how long it'll be before I'm healed, but I know one day I'll be able to look back and know that God never left my side. I found purpose in Jesus. I was looking for acceptance in all the wrong places, and I knew that something was missing, but I didn't know what it was. When I stopped looking for identity in all the wrong places, that's when my life truly began to change. When I started to worship for real and read the Bible for real is when I started to see who God was and who I was through Him. I don't have to try to be someone that God didn't make me to be. I can be happy knowing that He made me on purpose and that He loves me for who I am. I found acceptance in Jesus. Church, can we put our hands together and celebrate what he's done? And I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask if you would take a moment and bow your head, close your eyes this morning. And I just want to ask if there's anyone in the room, you've come here this morning, maybe you've attended church for a while, but you're still searching for something. You're still searching for that relationship, for that place to belong. You're in need of God's forgiveness this morning. You allowed sin to break your relationship with God. And this morning, as we've been talking, he's inviting you to come with him. He's inviting you to belong once again in his kingdom. He wants to give your life purpose. He wants to give your life meaning. He wants to bring joy back into your life. And if that's you, you're here this morning and you know that you need that relationship with God. You've walked away from it. Maybe you've never had it, but this morning you want to make that decision to have that brand new start, to follow him. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and to come forward to the altar. The word of God is very clear. We talked about it this morning. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes, and we're powerless to do anything on our own to fix it. And Jesus came, and he took our place. On the cross, he paid the punishment for our sin so that we could know the forgiveness of God, so that we could experience what it means to be part of God's family. And this morning, he's inviting us into that relationship. And if that's you, with no one looking around, if that's you, God's speaking to you 
you want that fresh start this morning, would you just stand up right where you're at and come forward to the altar right up front here? I want to pray for you. Right now, if God's speaking to your heart, please respond this morning. He's inviting you into his family. He wants to bring forgiveness in your life. Don't miss this opportunity if you feel that he's speaking to you in your heart. We'll just wait just one moment here for you to respond. I want us to pray this together this morning. Whether you're saying it for the first time or whether you've prayed this before, repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you. I realize I need you. My life is broken. And I need your forgiveness. So be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. Give me a brand new start. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate? That's what Easter is about. God making us new. God changing us and transforming our lives. And I want to ask all of us to respond in this way. If you're in this room and you are a believer, you've surrendered your life to Christ. He's made that difference inside of you. Easter should make all the difference in the world to you. It should change what we've talked about this morning. shouldn't just be something we celebrate once a year, but it should change the way you go into work tomorrow. It should change the way that you talk with your family. The fact that God has accepted you, no matter how difficult your life is, that he loves you and he believes in you, that he's willing to give up everything that he has. He's willing to give himself for you. should bring joy and peace. It should bring satisfaction in what you're looking for in your life. See, Easter makes all the difference in the world. In church, we need to live like that. We need to live like he's alive, like he's risen, and that we have been changed, and we're believing God to change other people around us to make that difference. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. And we, as we close this morning, we're just going to sing this out. Don't be bashful. Be passionate in your worship. Declare what it means that God has risen, that he's overcome sin and death. Let's sing this together.